It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? Now there's a new team, and everybody's pretty much new, and I got their back. I want this thing to work. Everybody's got to get on the same page. JT the Brick. Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be last-second losses. There's going to be a draft pick that doesn't make the team. Whatever it is, it's Raider Nation. JT, thanks for having me on. Always great to catch up with you, and keep it going, okay? I'll talk to you soon, man. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we start a new week on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. If you're streaming the show, which we greatly appreciate on the Raiders mobile app, hope everybody had a great weekend a blessed Easter, Passover, if you celebrated, you were traveling, you're back in town, and a beautiful weekend out here in Vegas as we begin our coverage, as we count down to the NFL Draft, which will be a week from this Thursday coming up, one of the biggest moments, sports moments, events in Vegas sports history, and we all got to have our A game. It's going to be a really big deal. The hype is real. It's quick. I was down a little bit on the strip this weekend by the link. I saw the stage build out, the Bellagio Fountains and what they're doing, and the town's going to kick ass, and it's coming. And hopefully a lot of friends are coming into town, and you're going to be out representing the silver and black. We're brought to you by PTs, where we are imploring you to get there for the Golden Knights as they are in uncharted territory, as the cover story says today on the Las Vegas Review-Journal. They got to pretty much win out, and they need some help to get in. They have to be close to perfect, which they are not, and they should be. And if you want to go and watch the Golden Knights and bring a bunch of friends and family and have a great time, go to any four of the 64 PTs locations in town. They also own the Strat, Arizona Charlies. I think we got to get this town really up to date with VGK and this big push, which I'll get to a little bit later in the monologue. Speaking of the paper, this is the first time I can remember. I'm dead serious. First time ever since the Raiders decided they were moving here and still in Oakland. that I opened up the paper today and there wasn't one sentence on the Raiders. The entire sports page, which is one of the best in the country, has cover stories on the Golden Knights, the Rebels, the Rebels football team, uh, the issue of Becky Hammond and the Aces, which is great. The Celtics, all other hockey, along with Kyle Busch winning, the Boston Marathon also being set, and Jordan Spieth. So I get the paper delivered to my home every day, and I went and I looked at it again, and I said, this cannot be right. There's not a blurb on the Raiders, nothing, zero. So we are officially in the dead zone of the NFL. We are. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We're going to talk Raiders every day. We are in the downtime, dead time of the Raiders right now. And also another week or so in June when they take vacation, their last one, the coaches with their families and get away. That's it. It is the calm before the storm, and I'm cool with it because the Raiders had the best offseason of any team in the NFL for two reasons, Chandler Jones and obviously the big signing of Devontae Adams. On top of restructuring two of the most important contracts in modern Raider history, uh, Max Crosby getting a contract extension and Derek Carr getting a contract extension. So those are the big four events that went down on top of the trade of Yannick Ngakwe for Rakia Sin to bring him in and the moves that the Raiders made. And they made a number of moves. I mean, a whole bunch of moves bringing in new players. Oh, and they brought in a new GM who joined us last week and a new head coach in Josh McDaniels. We had a big week last week. We interviewed Dave Ziegler, the GM, who was great friends with the show. We're happy to hear that. 
It was great to talk to him for the first time here. And we interviewed Derek Carr, and that interview is up at Raiders.com, getting a tremendous download as we spoke to him right after the contract extension. Vic Tapeford today, The Athletic, broke down the contract. I went and looked online and searched a couple of the columns on Derek Carr, and most people think that Derek didn't get enough in the signing bonus, didn't get enough guaranteed money, but I think most people agree that Derek's big payday will be after the Super Bowl this year, where the money will go guaranteed for the year after that, which is a big chunk of change. High $38 million to close to that $40 million range. So was it beneficial? Well, here was Derek Carr at the press conference talking about the flexibility, what he had to do, what he wanted to do to keep the Raiders in the hunt to get better players and also get paid. Yeah, I, I thought the whole time it was always trending the right direction. You know, um, you know, for, for me, you know, everyone looks at like certain numbers and they're going to say, oh, well, you know, they're not going to get the whole picture of how it's structured and how we did things so that I'm, you know, you know, Tim, my agent, myself, and the team, we made sure, you know, guys like Chandler, guys like Devontae, guys like hopefully Hunter and Foster, and those guys can stay here, you know, the way we structured it. You know, I, I went through a heartbreak already last time I signed my contract. My best friend left, you know what I mean? Um, and I didn't want that to ever happen again. And so this was an opportunity for me to prove to the team, um, to the organization, uh, to our fans that – the way we're going to structure this is so that we can keep, you know, everybody together and really, really have real continuity, really have something to build on, you know. And so for me, it was like, how do we do that? You know, you know, usually in these negotiations, how much money can we get? And then there, how much can we save, you know? And for this was just different, you know. And uh, so there was some there was a learning curve about it. Like, how do we make that happen to where I feel good and to where the team feels great? Like, man, we can still build a championship team around you. And so that was what was important to us. And hopefully, you know, this contract proves that. All right. So that was a long bite, but you get the point here. So you, as the Raider Nation and fans of the Raiders, should have had an entire weekend to digest this contract extension and give your own spin on it. Because a lot of it's spin. You know, Derek got good money. He's happy with it. The Raiders are happy with the flexibility. And it's a complicated deal. Very complicated when you do deals like this. Very complicated with the cap. But from everything I saw on NFL Network, everything that I've read, SI, everything I looked at, everybody thinks that Derek did the Raiders a favor, that he constructed the contract to do the Raiders more good than bad with flexibility without all the guaranteed money. And then there's a lot of people saying Derek's going to get all the guaranteed money because he's got a no-trade clause and he's not going anywhere. So all he's got to do is stay on the roster and he's going to get all this money. And I'm sure there could be an opportunity to restructure like they can with Max's contract and everybody else's contract here. One more from Derek Carr on the contract, the timeline, talking about this. This is not his last contract he's going to get in the NFL, but one of his biggest. Yeah, no, I, still for me, um, like, we got to keep things relative too. you know, like we can, you know, I got, I got four kids and. You know, we can go to Target and we're okay. You know, I always say that, but it's like true. Like, they don't know how good they have it. You know, we're we're fine. You know, so relatively, I'm happy for everybody. Like, I don't care what everybody else gets. I'm I'm worried about my contract. You know, I'm worried about my family and worried about some of the things I have planned in my life. You know, besides football, and uh, as long as I can take care of those things, we're great. You know, I, I want to help and bless and encourage and, you know, 
thousands, millions of people, you know, sometimes that takes a little bit of money. So there's some things I want to do there, you know, to help people in other countries, help people in this country. You know, I always said, like, I'm always thankful to God that he trusts me with this kind of stuff because it's going to go to the right places. You know, Uh, you know, I try. I try my best. Like I'm, I'm wearing stuff that you know half of it was free. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I, we like to, you know, give give back. We like to take care of other things. So there's part of that that matters to me, right? And then when other people are getting their stuff, I'm like, man, good for you. But I'm good. Let's make sure my teammates are okay. You know, because I know that there's some really good people in that locker room that want to do the same thing and take care of some people in their families and their uh, communities. And so um, that's what is more important to me than seeing other people getting some of the stuff they were getting. So I've interviewed thousands of athletes in my career, literally in 25 years, thousands. And I don't know one other than Tim Tebow. And there's probably a few that have a bigger faith base than Derek Carr. He cares about helping other people. Raider nation knows that that's your quarterback. I mean, you should be really proud of that, that you have a quarterback and you might not like everything about him. You might not like every throw, but I don't know how you can't like what this guy's about and what he showed you all last week. So last week was Derek Carr week. He had a press conference. He spoke to us exclusively. Everybody talked about the contract. And now if anybody else wants to talk about the impact that it's going to have on the Raiders going forward, that's where you step in on the flagship of the Raiders, especially this time of year. Because other than that, I'm not, I'm not reaching for a fourth-round center. I'm not, I'm not doing that radio. Others can. I'm not looking for a fifth-round cornerback. I don't do that. They're not going to be there. The player you like is not going to be there. I'm 100%, 1,000% positive. And that's what's going to be difficult here in the next couple of weeks. I got a lot of draft guys coming on, and the Raiders don't have a pick till the third round. And the player you want in the third round will not be there. So it's going to be very tough here, but not for me nationally, but locally, covering the draft here because the Raiders decided to go down the Devontae road, which I was great with. They decided to get the best wide receiver, the best player available. So they gave up some draft equity, and I'm good with that every bleeping year going forward. And Dave Ziegler, one year, might, ha- might be stacked with two first-round picks, a second, two-thirds. I don't know when that'll be because I think the Raiders' window right now is to win, to win a Super Bowl in the next two or three years, not compete for a Super Bowl, to win a Super Bowl with Chandler Jones's age, Derek Carr's contract, and what they're going to do. So to me, the draft is not everything. It's more about getting the right players who can step up and play. Step up in, in and play now and play at a very high level. 702-365-9200. Basically what I'm throwing out here in the monologue, after everything you read, heard, on other channels, everybody talking about, how good do you feel about this car contract a couple of days later as we kick off our coverage coming up here on Monday? Looks like we're going to be at Cafe Americano at Caesars Palace the day of the draft, noon to 2. It's an unbelievable bar property. It's got indoor, outdoor, right there looking out towards the draft. So if you're looking for a place to hang out and have some Modellos with me, it'll be brought to you by Modelo. That will be a week from Thursday, and we're going to pound the hell out of that remote coming up here a lot. And then I'll be at the M on Friday night uh, for a great event with Raider alumni that many people are welcome to come to there. So that's what we got. Let me move on to the other NFL news today. The Washington Commanders, led by Daniel Snyder, who's still, I believe, uh, suspended, has denied all of the accusations against them that they've been stealing money from the rest of the league. And they laid out a case in a letter today to the Federal Trade Commission that there should be no investigation by Congress 
for this. They put out a 22-page letter obtained by ESPN. They rebutted all the allegations by their former team employee, Jason Friedman, that the team had engaged in uh, bad financial practices impacting consumers and the NFL to increase its revenue. Basically, that the Washington commanders are being accused of cooking the books and having two sets of books. Those points were made by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform in a letter to the FTC last week, highlighting allegations made by Friedman, who spent 24 years in the organization's ticket department, and he was the vice president of sales and customer service. He was fired in October 2020, two months after Jason Wright took over as team's president, as Jason Wright took over. So this is going back and forth. There'll be a deeper investigation going on. I think this will be the downfall of Daniel Snyder as the owner. I think the owners will vote him out, and I think that'll happen pretty soon here. I think that's going to happen really soon. We have a new highest-paid cornerback of all time, and considering this franchise had three or four of the best, Mike Haynes, Lester Hayes, you look at the legends who have played cornerback for the Raiders, Eric Allen, my partner, Charles Woodson, corner to move to safety, Willie Brown, Arguably one of the all-time greats, maybe top five all-time. The Cleveland Browns made Denzel Ward the highest-paid cornerback of all time. Five-year, $100.5 million extension, according to Adam Schefter. $71.25 million of that is guaranteed. $75.25 million is guaranteed. Wow. So the $20 million average salary puts him ahead of Jalen Ramsey who was the highest-paid cornerback at $20 million per season with the deal that he signed in the Rams in 2020. You know, how do I tie this into the Raiders? The Raiders are looking to get players like this. And the Raiders were in the hunt, I think, to go after a free agent cornerback. They made the trade for Rocky Asin. They have him. He's supposed to be a starter. He's a lockdown corner, and they're going to have to go in that direction. Trayvon Mullen is another superior athlete who should be completely healthy. He should be competing for the number one corner position along with some other names. Nate Hobbs, who I saw at the Super Bowl, make a break for Nate. I mean, Nate's behavior off the field will not stand with this organization, will not stand. So Nate Hobbs, I don't care how good he is in the slot, how great of a player he is. I had a heart-to-heart with him at the Super Bowl the day before. He's going to be here if he stays out of trouble. If he doesn't stay out of trouble, I can't imagine what happened last year with him in vehicles that he would be a Raider and and I'd be wrong to say this I don't think he has many strikes left and the Raiders are looking for cover corners who can step in and play at a very high level you know good news for Denzel Ward and that number there but you got to be great and the Raiders decided that they weren't going going to go out in the offseason and go get that other corner just yet now that could change that could change with the draft coming up and the potential for a trade to do something But I think the Raiders are going to like the competition that they're going to see uh, in their practices and in their OTAs and what's going to happen at that position there. And especially on the back end, where it seems like Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler understand that Trayvon Merrick is a building block player. And then they're going to have to figure out what to do with Jonathan Abram. Because I don't think Jonathan Abram, I know Jonathan Abram's not going to get that contract, that option picked up at the price that he'd want it picked up at. But he could end up having a career with this team if he gets better in pass coverage. If Jonathan Abram did not improve this offseason in one-on-one drills, private training and private coaching in pass coverage, he will not be a Raider. 
because Kansas City plays in this division and they look for Jonathan Abram. They drool for Jonathan Abram. They break down film looking for Jonathan Abram on how to eat him up and spit him out. So Abram's got to get a lot better in the offseason and prove that he's not going to bite on the run and let anybody get behind him. Now, did he show improvement last year? Absolutely he did. Absolutely last year he showed some improvement. But the improvement's going to have to be a lot better in pass coverage or they're only going to be able to keep him on the field in obvious run plays, and you can't make that much money if you're just going to be a run heat-seeking missile at safety. Safety's got to cover. They have to be able to cover and do that. So the cornerback market changed today. It doesn't affect the Raiders, but the Raiders, if they want to get someone like that down the road, are going to have to find those players and get them to stick via the draft or trade for a young one. Maybe Rock Yassin. Maybe Rock Yassin could be that player. I don't know. It seems like they loved him in Indianapolis. Pro football focus loved him, and he has that ability to, I think, train under this Patrick Graham defense with new coaches and possibly be a better player. The Vegas Golden Knights got their ass kicked in Edmonton in a game they needed to win, and they got shut out. And every time they take two steps forward, they take a step back. It's going to have a deep and profound effect on the Vegas economy from restaurants and bars and all of our nightlifes if this team doesn't make the playoffs. The cover story today shows the remaining schedule with the Golden Knights and the Kings and the Stars. The Knights trail the Stars by four points. For the second wild card spot, they trail the Kings by three points for third place in the Pacific Division. I cannot believe that the Golden Knights are in fourth place in the Pacific Division, considering what Mr. Foley did to load up this team. They've underachieved. They're getting healthy now, and they got to step up. And I guess we're all going to sit here and scoreboard watch as the Kings got some easy games left on that schedule. They got Chicago. They got Seattle. And the Golden Knights play New Jersey, Washington, San Jose, and they finish the season at Dallas, Chicago, and at St. Louis. I think it's going to come down to the last two games of the year as we go into the NFL draft. So we could all be sitting there drinking ice-cold Modellos on the Strip for the NFL draft on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the Golden Knights could sneak into the playoffs, or they could be eliminated from the playoffs. And if they get eliminated from the playoffs, that's just going to be awful. So I want to put that in the monologue, and I'll have it in the monologue every day because I'm a diehard Golden Knights fan, and I want them to get to the playoffs because if they get in, I think they have a puncher's chance. And finally, I'll get to Kyrie Irving. Matter of fact, I want to get to Kyrie Irving because I got a good topic for you in the Raider Nation. Kyrie Irving was flipping off the fans in Boston yesterday, giving them the double bird and the single bird. So he was making shots, and he was flipping them off with the middle finger. That's got to be a significant fine. The league can't have people turn on ABC on a Saturday or Sunday with kids watching and seeing NBA players flipping each other off and flipping fans off. So he's going to be fined a significant amount of money. And I started to think, what Raider opponent, what Raider opponent gave the most back to the Raider fans? And I'm going to lead that topic because I seen Junior Seau double bird the black hole while I was leaning over the black hole and about 15 feet away from him. I actually tweeted a picture for our show rundown today of the black hole uh, when I would sit in the black hole. Pretty cool picture if you're in Vegas and you didn't, didn't get a chance to go to Oakland and see the black hole. And we always say Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers we throw out there. But the problem is Philip didn't use any profanity. And Philip didn't 
double bird anybody. He just said, oh, God shucks and all that. God dumb it and all that stuff that he said. He never used profanity. And I saw Junior, who's a friend, flip off the black hole. I don't know the other guys who did anything really bad, but you do. So who are the Raider opponents over the years who acted like Kyrie Irving? Because Kyrie Irving's the biggest topic in sports today, everybody. I'm telling you, it's huge. What he did up in Boston. He played an amazing game, an incredible finish. Bobby, let's get to Kyrie's shot at the end of the game and what he was doing in the second half. Kyrie was electric from the outside, 39 points. It looked like he was going to win the game. Durant, guarded by Horford, moves it left. Irving's got it, three on the way. Scored for Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was incredible from the outside. He did enough to win the game, but on the final possession, uh, Brooklyn had a chance to win the game. Durant took a bad three with time running out. Boston didn't use their timeout, and they ran the length of the court to the clock to come down. Marcus Smart made a great pass, and this is how the Celtics won. Nine seconds to go. Jalen turns the corner on Dragic. Eight seconds. Kick out. Left side. Smart up picks. Finds the cutter. Tatum spins. Lays it up and in to beat the buzzer. It's over. It's over. The Celtics have won the ball game at the buzzer. Marcus Smart up picked the three. That killed the final seconds. Tatum joined the play late. Spun at the rim and scored. That was a tremendous basketball game. That was a brilliant basketball game. It had emotion. It had a player in Kyrie getting triggered by the fans but backing it up. And then a buzzer beater on a layup in an historic arena. That was incredible basketball if you watched it. Here's Kyrie post-game with the fans, and the fans were going at him hard, and he had to answer back. As a man, he had to stand up to those fans and everything they were saying at him. You know, it's nothing new when I come into this building, what it's going to be like, but it's the same energy they have for me, and I'm going to have the same energy for them. And it's not every fan. I don't want to attack every fan, every Boston fan, but, um, you know, when people start yelling and all this stuff, it's but so much you can take. Uh, as a competitor and um, you know we're the ones expected to be docile and be humble and take a humble approach not that's the playoffs yeah take Boston out of that and put Oakland in which is a badge of honor for the Raider fans is how intense the Raider fans in Oakland were against opposing players who would you compare Kyrie Irving to when it comes to the history of the Raiders mostly in Oakland because that doesn't happen in Vegas I mean we have a nightclub in one of the end zones I haven't seen one of those really gorgeous women like with a bottle, you know, a $900 bottle of tequila, double birding anybody and using profanity. I haven't. I've been in the wind day club, uh, nightclub a few times. I haven't seen any of that. But that's Vegas. It's different than Oakland. In Oakland, they couldn't have a nightclub, you know, for $20,000 a booth with $1,000 bottles there. So maybe it takes the edge a little bit off there. But I love going to games at Allegiant Stadium. 702-365-9200 as we begin. 211 still reserved. Start us off this week on the flagship. Go ahead. He is gone. So we'll move on and we'll come back with our guest. Uh, Stuart Schweigert is going to join us as we take a look back at the drafts as we're in the 2000s now. Been really excited about this. They've got us a couple of good guests uh, this week coming up, which I'm thrilled to talk to. We're looking back at the history of the draft and wondering what the Raiders are going to do in this draft. With a third-round pick, should they move up, stay pat, or do they have a blockbuster trade potentially on a couple of players that they're willing to move on from? If there's players that Dave Ziegler does not want on this roster or what doesn't want to pay, 
long term over the next couple of years? Wouldn't you rather move them? Wouldn't you want to move those players ahead of the draft and maybe get into the draft? Or do you just want to wait because Raider Nation, you feel good about the offseason and you'll take your chances? Coming up, we'll get into the history of the Raider draft. Also, Olden Polonies will join us a little bit later on the show. Mondays are for Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the silver and black. And Mark Anderson from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Always good to talk to Mark as he joins us every other Monday. Hope you had a great Easter holiday, Passover holiday. If you're back, if you're traveling back, thanks for downloading the show on the Raiders mobile app. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. I would say like I wasn't involved in, in all the, I wasn't involved in that at all during my time in New England. So I don't really know like what the dynamics of that were and what those conversations were. So it kind of, it would be irresponsible for me to, um, you know, act like I did, but I think every every individual, every player has their, you know, has their own process that they want to go through. And I think to expect someone to do something just because someone else did it, um, if you did that for everybody, you'd be in a, you know, you'd be in a hard, you'd be in a hard spot of trying to get deals done. And, and I think everybody, like, again, it's, it's, to me, every negotiation is very individualistic and it's, um, it's very unique to, to that person and to the timing and to the position and whatever it may be. So, no, I don't think we look at it like that. I think it's just, you know, it's, it's just a, every, every negotiation is its own, its own kind of, its own being. That's Dave Ziegler, the new GM of the Raiders. We spoke to him on Thursday, I believe, and he was fantastic. We'll have some of that sound cut up here tomorrow in case you missed it. That's also at Raiders.com as they put up everything there for us. Stuart Schweiger, kind enough to join us. What a career he had as we take a look at a draft story out of Purdue where he was a brilliant player, started for four years, best defensive backs ever to play for that program, passing Rod Woodson, the Hall of Famer when it came to school career interceptions with 17, and he was a third-round pick for the Raiders in 2004, 67 overall. Stuart, great to talk to you again. I hope you're doing well. How, how is it that I think there's no way he can give me a better introduction, and then every time you always do a better one, man, so I appreciate that. Thank well, you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. You got it. I'm excited because we've been going. The, the team's been helping us with the draft stories, and we've started in the 60s with Fred Bolitnikoff, went into the was, 70s, yep. so it's been fun, and now we're into the 2000s with you. I want to talk about your career at Purdue I mean, you really locked in. You came in as a freshman and played in a lot of big bowl games. What made you so comfortable in that environment in a big school, hitting the ground running so quickly? You know what, JT? I mean, you really, I look back at it, and really you couldn't have probably written a better career. You know, I was, Purdue was the right school for me. You know, coming out, you know, here's the thing, coming out of Michigan, you know, Lloyd Carr, uh, a couple years back, won the national championship. Nick Saban was the, the head coach at Michigan State, specifically worked on the defensive side of the ball. And I get that question all, you know, how, how the heck did you leave Michigan and go down to Purdue? And it was Joe Tiller, uh, who was our head coach, and Brock Spack, who was our defensive coordinator and my uh, recruiting coordinator. And 
you know, we, that year we won the Big Ten, uh, went to the Rose Bowl. I led the team in interceptions and tackles. Drew Brees was our quarterback. Um, and it was really, I got to give a lot of the credit to uh, Brock's back, like I said, but also Kenny Green was my defensive back coach. And Kenny Green played at Washington State, played for the, uh, I think it, they were the St. Louis Cardinals and then the Chargers. And he really taught me how to play the position. And one of the things that he taught me was how to read the offensive line for runner pass keys. And I'm, I think I'm sixth all time for tackles at Purdue. And I always got, it always made me upset, JT, when safety shouldn't be leading the tackle, you know, leading right. the team in tackles. Well, well, you know what? If if the guy wants to make plays and he knows how to read it, yeah, he 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 can get down there and get involved in plays. And that was kind of my thing. Uh, Coach Green said, Stewart. Good players, every five to six plays, they're involved. Something pass breakup, uh, tackle, you know, intercept something. Mm-hmm. But he said the great ones, every two or three. So I went into every game where I'm thinking if it's gonna be, it's up to me. I was trying to make every play I could. And he kind of instilled that into me at a very young age, and um, like I said, I played. I led the team in interceptions as a freshman, sophomore. I had six, uh, tied Rod Woodson's record as a sophomore, um, and then went on to play in four straight bowl games. Um, you know, had a chance. My let's see, in 2003 when I came out, there was 11 guys, seven off defense that got drafted that year off of Purdue. So wow, you know, when you talk about the draft, I mean, has it? Let's see. It's, 19 years, is that right? No, 18 years? 18 years. 18 years, 2004, yeah, to 2022, 18 years. So Stuart Schweiger joins us. It's a it's a long run, but it's a short term and a lot of memories. One more thing about Purdue. You mentioned Drew Brees. How much did he help you become a better player in the secondary going up against him in practice? There's got to be more than that. Well, you know, you bring up a good point, JT, and our, our entire offensive line got drafted as well. So we had a we had a very good um, competition, like you just said, in practice. So, And here's the thing about Drew Brees. He's probably the biggest competitor that I've ever been around. And I, you know, growing up, I didn't – everything I did, I wanted to win. But Drew Brees was at a different level, man. That guy, just watching him and seeing how he held himself and seeing how he watched film and – and how serious he took it, and how much he studied, and how much it meant to him. It, it really helped to have those guys as seniors to kind of teach us freshmen, this is how things are supposed to be. And, uh, you know, again, he's a close friend of mine. Uh, again, I think one of the greatest players to ever play, but it was that competitiveness, man. Mm-hmm. He just made everybody around him better. Stuart Swigert's our guest. So the draft call, how did it come? Round three, pick 67. <laughs> with, the, with the accolades you had out of Purdue, you had to think you were, I would assume you thought you were going a little bit higher because third round's great. Uh, that's a value well, pick there, but what were you thinking coming into that day? So, you know what, that, that, I think that's the bad thing about the, uh, the NFL, JT, is, you know, the NBA, those guys can go to the combine and kind of see how things are, and if they don't like it, go back to college. And, you know, the NFL, it's like, it's like there's no it, – it, you're either in or you're out. And I remember they had this as a junior uh, where you could kind of 
see like where you kind of lined up. And it was literally late first to early sixth round. I'm like, that doesn't doesn't tell me anything. You know what I mean? Like, can you get a little bit more specific on that? So, um, coming, you know, obviously I had a great combine, uh, and I, I found this out. I didn't realize this, but I ran the fastest L shuttle at the entire combine bar position. So I tested really well. And obviously, Al Davis, what does he like? He likes speed, right? So um, I didn't know, you know, Sean Taylor, God rest his soul, was coming out that year. Uh, Sean Jones from Georgia, Bob Sanders, Madhu Williams. Um, So I just, I didn't know. So draft day, there's a, there's a place downtown Saginaw next to my dad. My dad owned a gym for 31 years, old town gym and equipment. And there was a little bar down there called Mindbergs, and we went to the place out for the day. You know, back then, first three rounds were on Saturday, and then the rest was on Sunday. So Saturday's a long day, long, long day, right? And mm-hmm. There's really no preparation you can have for it. So I thought, honestly, I didn't think first round. Um, I thought probably mid-second. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean Taylor gets drafted, and then Bob wow. Sanders, and all of a sudden Sean Jones, and then um, Madhu Williams. I'm going, oh shit, what? The, you know, it started at noon. It's about eight o'clock. I'm going, oh boy, like uh, is it? You know, you ever you see those things where you know those horror stories of guy has a party doesn't get drafted. You know, so mm-hmm. it it was about eight thirty at night, and my brother-in-law's brother. He works for Budweiser, and he comes out, and I'm, and I'm just kind of getting some air. And he goes, Stu, he goes, hey, I got to take off. Here's my lucky jacket, and I, I, I put my left arm in the sleeve, and I, my phone rings. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, boy. So I answered it. Hello? And you know, it was Stuart Schweiger, and it was, it was a female. It was a woman. And, and, and I'm sitting there going, like is someone doing a you know it might get you know prank yeah I'm like yeah this is Stuart says hey I don't, I want to be the first to congratulate you on being you know picked well you said six was it sixty seventh or sixty sixth I can't remember which one it was but you know I'm being selected as the sixty sixth or whatever overall pick but uh, to the Oakland Raiders and I was just it would and then it came across the screen in the bar and uh, the whole place erupted and it was, it was, it was one of the, the best days of my life because so much went into it. But the thing that guys got to realize is that's really when your career starts, you know, that's, th- that's not an end point. That's, that's when it's like, okay, I need to get going here. Cause really that's Saturday, JT mm-hmm. Thursday, you know, I, I booked my flight I booked my flight and, you know, hey, we'll, we'll see you Thursday. And uh, Clayton Lopez met me at the uh, Oakland airport there. And it wasn't a rookie minicamp. I mean, it was everybody, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I remember the first, I'm kind of going around the training room and I see it's just me and one other guy who's on like the training tables or like the, the taping tables, you know, got his ankles taped, got his waiter shorts on, shirts off. Read the New York Times, gray chest hair, you know, uh, pepper hair. I'm like going, hold on a second. I go, holy shit. I'm like, that's Rich Gannon. I'm like, he's like a grown, like, man. I'm like, that's my teammate. I'm like, okay. It just kind of like set the tone where it's like, 
Yeah, this this is the big leagues now, buddy. You better get your stuff together. Yeah, Rich Rich Cannon Rich Cannon could do that. Wrapping it up with Stuart Swagger. Stuart, once again, once a writer, always a writer. I love when we see you out here. You saw what happened in the offseason. Carr got a contract extension. Devontae Adams comes in. Max Crosby is extended. The team won 10 games. There's a new coaching staff led by Josh McDaniels. What are you thinking? What are your goals? What do you expect gonna, to see I'm from gonna, the Raiders? I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. From what they did last year with everything against them, making the playoffs, and everything that I've seen the organization do from Mark, you know, to, to um, I mean, down I mean down to the anybody on the staff, I'm very impressed with the moves they're making, the guys they're bringing in, the guys that we're getting rid of. I think they're just, they're doing everything. I mean, I don't. And, and talking to the nation, you know, on my my uh, YouTube channel, I can't I I cannot look through here and go. There's a decision they've made that I, I don't agree with. Every every single one, I'm going, wow, that's that's a good pick. And obviously, Rob Ryan's back. You mm-hmm. know, he was my D coordinator. Yeah, super pumped to have him back. And I, here's the thing, you know, JT, you know this, the AFC West, the AFC period, but the AFC West specifically, it's a tough. It's a tough division, man. So I have very high hopes. I, I love everything that they're doing, and I'm hoping to be out there next week. Good. That'd be great if we could see you. We're going to be pretty active around the draft. You know the alumni are going to be here, so let us know. We'll catch up with you all the time. you got great energy. You love the Raiders. It's a big part of your life. How, how's your wife, the family going, the kids? So my, my wife's doing great. Um, you know, she, she's, she's a nurse. She does oncology, mm-hmm. and then – you know, I got my Cameron, she's 13, and this past year, man, my oldest, Cameron, she really picked it up with basketball, but they're doing track, and my second daughter, who's eight, is Emma, then my son, Alex, and another one, two and a half, Avery, and wow. it's, it's been great, man. We are, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time to be involved, not only around here at Purdue, you know, because George Karloftis, who's a defensive end for Purdue, he's actually going to be out there, and his soon-to-be father-in-law is a close friend of mine, so uh, it'll be nice to have him out there, and it's just, dude, everything's just going good, JT. Good. Well, I hope you're out here. Reach out to me or reach out through Shannon and Katie and Callie and let us know where you'll be, and maybe Absolutely. you can jump by one of our remotes, and we'll, we'll talk again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You got it, buddy. Take care. There he is, Stuart Swigert, a really good guy. Loves the Raiders. Played with the Raiders from 2004 through 2007. Former third-round pick overall. Had a brilliant career at Purdue. He's one of those guys who had an unreal career in college. Came to the NFL. Played with the Raiders and tried to stick around. Bounced around. Redskins, Giants, Lions in 08. And, you know, he's not defined by football. He's got four kids and a wife who's a nurse. And he's a Raider alumni. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Thanks to Stuart Swigert for joining us. He made plays. He had some interceptions and some memorable moments. And the guy loves the Raiders. And you should love him because he loves your team. He's diehard Raider Nation. 702-365-9200. Harry Ruiz will join us at the top of the hour, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black. As you can tell, we're putting him on more and more. He's going to do more with me uh, throughout the season. And then next hour, Mark Anderson from the Review Journal and Olden Polonies, the great NBA insider, who I saw him on a show earlier today on TV. He's going to join our show on everything that happened in basketball over the weekend. Basketball playoffs are wild. NBA stinks in the regular season. 
Then the playoffs come, and the level of competition and intensity goes through the roof. We are brought to you by Doghouse Saloon inside Resorts World. If you haven't been to Resorts World yet for a concert, dinner, cocktails, drinks, gambling, once you get in there, it's going to be your place. Easy, free parking, real close to get there, and the Doghouse for sports. Let me start with this. If the Cleveland Browns are going to trade Baker Mayfield before the draft, which is possible, the Carolina Panthers seem like the most likely spot. It doesn't seem like the Seattle Seahawks, which Baker Mayfield said on a music podcast, or I'm not, something like, I forget the name of it. Anyway, Baker Mayfield said it on a podcast. He thinks his most likely spot is Seattle. I think his most likely spot, if he is going to get traded before the draft, is the Carolina Panthers. What Carolina is doing right now is evaluating all the options. They're evaluating Baker Mayfield, and they're evaluating all the top quarterbacks in the draft. The reason that they may trade for him before the draft is they answer a big question, right? We know whether or not they're taking a quarterback in the draft because if they trade for Baker Mayfield beforehand, they are almost certainly not. That is why that is an inflection point. If the Panthers don't trade for him, Tom, before the draft, then it is going to be a long wait for Baker Mayfield and probably a situation where he ends up going to training camp, at least, with the Cleveland Browns. There he is. That's Ian Rappaport. He breaks a lot of news on Baker Mayfield. Where will he end up? We're getting you ready for the draft. Brought to you by Laborers Union Local 872 Vegas Strong Union Proud as they guide us all the way to the draft coming up a week from Thursday, round one, then two and three on Friday. We'll be down at the Strip Cafe Americano right outside Caesars on the street side. Tremendous location for a remote. I don't do many remotes anymore. We love to do shows in studio. I care about the quality of the show. When we get out on the road, we want it to be big. We want it to be great, big crowds, and that's what I'm used to doing. So we'll have more details on that uh, this week and the beginning of next week. I'm a Baker Mayfield guy. My son goes to Oklahoma. He's getting a statue this weekend there, by the way. It's a spring game in Oklahoma, and Baker, who's got to feel pretty embarrassed going back to Oklahoma to get a statue that's going to be out there for winning the Heisman, and he doesn't have a team. His team dropped him in the Cleveland Browns to bring in Deshaun Watson for $240 million guaranteed. So I think the next big move, huge move that could be available coming up would be Baker Mayfield. And he should be able to choose where he wants to go. This is the problem with Baker Mayfield. Everything crashed and burned so quickly on him. He's a number one pick overall. He led Cleveland to the playoffs. He played through an injury last year. So he's tough as hell. And he's going to go out there and do this. And then they just drop him. They drop him and he's still under contract. So teams have to figure out what they have to give up for Baker Mayfield. They don't have to give up a lot. You don't have to give up a number one pick. You don't have to give up a top pick. But you got to give up something. It could be a third or a fourth, whatever it's going to be, to get Baker on the final year of his rookie contract. So the teams that make the most sense, the Houston Texans, because he's from Texas. He played at Oklahoma. That's a rebuild and he helped rebuild Cleveland to a playoff team. Everybody's forgetting what Baker did, which was really good. Last year he got injured. Was he immature? Absolutely. He never should have put out that, penned that note on Instagram, goodbye, I love you Cleveland, and all that. That was the beginning of the end. Seattle would be a good fit. The problem, I think, what's happening with Seattle is what happens with the NBA. When a team is tanking, and Pete Carroll coached at USC, 
and won national championships, and he coached in two Super Bowls, winning one. Pete Carroll is getting up there in age. He doesn't want to tank. But Seattle has no chance to compete in the NFC West. If they wait till next year, they could get one of the better quarterbacks. Next year, there's going to be four to five quarterbacks going in the first round. So maybe Seattle wants to wait and not do a Baker deal. And then Carolina makes a lot of sense because David Tepper is the richest owner in all of sports. In every sport combined, he's the richest owner. And he's been very patient with Matt Rule, the head coach. And I don't think Matt Rule can afford another year and not making the playoffs. And Baker Mayfield's better than Sam Darnold, I'll promise you that. So if Ian Rappaport says it, I think he's right for that. And Baker Mayfield is going to have to make a big decision coming up here. The Colts signed Stephon Gilmore and the Raiders didn't get him. I got to assume, and the next time I talk to Dave Ziegler, I'll ask him about it, but I thought that getting Stephon Gilmore at that price was a little bit expensive, but they had the money to do it, and they got Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator. Look what Gus Bradley was able to do with Casey Hayward last year. Now he gets Stephon Gilmore, the former defensive player of the year in 2019. So Chris Ballard uh, talked it over with our guy Gus Bradley, and they did it. And they sat back and they waited and waited and waited and watched. And they finally pulled the trigger on a five-time Pro Bowler. Now the issue becomes, why didn't the Raiders find a way with the car contract being written aggressively in a good spot, flexible for the Raiders and Carr? That should have opened up something, I thought, here in Vegas. But the Colts traded Rocky Asin to the Las Vegas Raiders for pass rusher Yannick Ngakwe. And another one of their good players remains unsigned. So that was a big deal. The one player that I thought the Raiders would get this offseason was Stephon Gilmore. It was not, you know, it wasn't Chandler Jones. I don't know anybody who thought of Chandler Jones. Do you? Not one person had Chandler Jones on their radar, and he's a great player. Gilmore seemed like the best fit because of his friendship to Ziegler and McDaniels. I think the price was too high. And the Raiders got to keep an eye on the price tag here because they got to sign draft picks or they might make another move. And they had to restructure contracts, and they got to get Hunter Renfro's deal done eventually. And people are wondering around about Darren Waller and Darren Waller's ability to play for the money that he's agreed to now, which he should play for. He agreed to that contract. But everybody thinks that Darren Waller wants a little bit more money, which is fair. Every athlete I've ever met wants more money and thinks they deserve more money. Darren is a really special player. And if Darren can find a way to play under this contract and have a big year, I would assume the Raiders would reward him again. I would assume, but I don't know. One hour flew by. Harry Ruiz will join us next. We'll talk to him. Mark Anderson, one of the sharpest journalists in Vegas history at 120 and Olden Polonese at the bottom of the hour. If you want to try to get through, 702-365-9200. We're always open for business inside the Raider Nation.